Trash, The Final Frontier. Welcome to the Bridge of the Starship Leaky Lee for Strange New Pods, a podcast miniseries covering Strange New Worlds. I'm your Captain Justin, and joining me on my away mission are my science officer Anna and Xeno Anthropologist Jude. And if you got that reference in that in that intro, uh, well, good on you. <laughs> You've discovered one of my hyperfixations for my youth. Uh hey Jude. Hey Anna, how you doing? Hour two of recording. Feeling good, feeling punchy, which is so this, always how I like to be. I, I have a blast. Yeah, I have a Baja blast sitting right here next to me. It's it's that is it's the going appro- well. The, the, the official beverage of uh, this podcast of all bad pod recordings. Yeah, sponsor us. Send me send me shit. <laughs> I bet you we could get Baja Blast Mountain Dew to sponsor us if we tried hard enough. <laughs> not it we will uh, i'll just i'll tweet it for the bad pot account we'll sip for we'll sip for free <laughs> it's it's you and arnold yeah. palmer in a, in a in a race this is just bridging off from uh person of interest episode 10 yeah. sorry because i've already asked how you're actually doing tonight and thus don't care anymore um <laughs> i have a question for you both let's hear it which children's book would you like to act out with the crew of the starship enterprise Ooh. I feel like I feel like I have to go Redwall. Fuck you! Because, God damn it! <laughs> because I really a I love Redwall and was like obsessed with those books as a child. And b I would really love to see what the costume department did with that. Okay, okay. Uhura is Matthias, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, or or Mariel of Redwall. Mariel would be an exce- would also be a good way to because go because but- she she's part of a nautical novel. Oh uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a nautical theme there. Yeah, yeah. Th- that'd be good. <laughs> Okay, shit. Okay. I think I would probably go with uh mm, I don't know. God damn. You stole my answer and now I'm fucking flummoxed. <laughs> well, you should have answered faster, Jude. Yeah. So, I think my answer has to be The Hobbit. It's it's a Classic. it's a very good answer. And it's a good answer. Now, I I hate to like run back to Tolkien stuff just cuz it's a little like predictable. But the idea of seeing the bridge crew all dressed up as dwarves. Oh, yeah. Except for one of them who gets to dress up as Bilbo and one of them that gets gets to dress up as a dragon. Sounds very good to me. Gandalf, too. And Gandalf. Oh, who's Gandalf? Um, Hemmer is obviously Gandalf. Hemmer would be a very good Gandalf or a very good Smaug. No, Smaug is... um, Ooh, who would I have be Smaug? I feel like Ahura's got to be... Um, no, Lon is Smaug. <laughs> um, see, I was thinking it'd be funny if you if you have Spock be it because that means because Benedict Cumberbatch was Smog and oh, <laughs> no, oh god, no, I'm getting yeah. I'm getting I'm getting Benedict Cumberbatch and Zachary Quinto mixed up. Shit. <laughs> god damn it! I thought I had something there, but I was too smart. Well, yeah, I think it's I think it would be a funny a, a, a fun way to go. But yes, uh, that's my answer. Definitely. I would really love to see. I just want more of Hemmer in a wizard costume, please. <laughs> the God. magic of science. Yes. Hem- <laughs> and Hemmer's got to be one of the badgers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hemmer would be 
Yeah. Oh, well, let's see who would have. Uh, he'd be. Uh, God, what's who's the? There's a blind badger lord. Formal. In... Hammer would be formal. <laughs> I haven't read these in so long. I I tried to get my son to read them the other day, and he's just barely not old enough for them yet. Like another year, I think, mm. and he'll be he'll be the right age. And then you'll get to enjoy them all over again. What are you talking about? I read them like six months ago. <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> I don't need a I don't need a six year old to, to to as an excuse to reread the Redwall books. Speaking of children's books and Star Trek, we've got an episode, right? Yeah. Let's give some context to this bullshit. Um, yes, tonight we are covering episode eight of season one of Strange New World, The Elysian Kingdom. Uh, Gee, this summary's kind of long. Fuck off. Who wrote this summary? <laughs> you hypocrite. Listen, there was a lot going on in this episode, and <laughs> I needed to just, like, bring, I needed to make notes of certain things. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, I'm because we, I'm, I'm I needed to make it. sure we talked about them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I know exactly what you mean. This episode is written by Akila Cooper and Onitra Johnson and directed by Amanda Rao. Come on our podcast and talk to us about this episode. And, you know, we'll, we'll we'll I'll make sure we get your name right. <laughs> During a charting of the Junician Nebula, Doctor Omega is tending to his daughter Rukia, whose condition is degrading, and he is still trying to find a cure for. Her. He is reading to her from her favorite story, The Kingdom of Elysian, by by Benny Russell, which is a, that is a name that got dropped in this episode, just very casually in a site. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Rukia mentions the changes she would make to the story if it were in her hands, including the ending, where King Ridley has to choose between saving the, uh, the Mercury Stone, his greatest tool, and saving Princess Talia. After putting Rukia back in the buffer, Mabenga mixes some chemicals and gets them in his face after an explosion. Uh, Una reminds him of an awaiting that it was needing to be seen to, reminding him that his duties come first before uh, his research. On the bridge, the charting of the nebula is done, and they are preparing to leave. However, the ship's warp engines refuse to respond. When Pike orders them to leave on impulse, the ship violently rocks. Pike calls Mabenga to the bridge to see to an injury, but when Mabenga exits the turbolift, he finds himself and everyone dressed in fantasy garb, and they hail the king! <laughs> As Mabenga soon deduces, something has taken over the ship, warping everyone's minds so they have become characters in the Elysian Kingdom book. Mabenga still retains his mind, but he is still cast as King Ridley. Pike is the credibly and cowardly Sir Armand Routh, the Chamberlain, and Ortega is Sir Adia the Knight. He thinks that this is all a joke at first, but eventually decides to play along. Venga investigates through the ship, finding Nurse Chapel as the Lady Audra, and Princess Talia is embodied by La'an, including her dog, Ruda. We're going to have to talk about this dog. Uh, <laughs> he sets out into the Dark Forest and is confronted by the wizard Pollux, Spock, who guides them into the Dark Tunnels, Jeffrey Tubes, into the malevolent Queen Knave's dungeons, Engineering. Except, oh no! Pollux was working for Queen Knave, who is Ohura. The crew are tossed in the dungeons, the transporter room, where they encounter the wizard Pollux's brother, Castor, played by Hammer. 
Hammer has been unaffected by the mass delusion, thanks to his psychic powers, and is relieved to see Manga. Hammer takes on the role of he takes on the role of wizard very well, using the magic of science to cut them free from their cell <laughs> with an engineering tool. They are confronted in the halls by Queen Maeve's Crimson God. Red shirts. And just when things are dire, Sir Adya is saved by a hail of arrows from Una, who is playing Zymira the Huntress. They reach engineering, where the sensors are able to find a single life sign, but no body associated with it. Hemmer and Mavenga theorize that this entity was spontaneously created without a body, that it is just an entity with a spirit, but no physical form. However, things start to make less sense for Mavenga from a narrative standpoint. Adia and Zamira, uh, Sir Adia and Zamira talk as if they were together, but they never are meet in the book. Then it hits Mvenga. He's not in the story. He's in his daughter's imagination of the story. They rush to find uh, Rukia, but see that she is not in the buffer. They deduce the place she is most likely to be is in Mvenga's quarters. But as they set out, they find they have been betrayed by Sir Routh. Uh, who has been offered uh, King Ridley's domain. As they are set upon, Hemmer uses his magic to disappear Queen Knave and beams them to a cargo bay. Uh, <laughs> in Venga's quarters, they find Rukia there. When Venga scans her, he finds no trace of her illness. Uh, Rukia feels that her friend made her better. With the assistance of Hemmer, Venga is able to talk to her friend, which is a nebula creature of some sort who says that she sensed Rukia's loneliness and that they are alike. She doesn't want to allow Rukia to leave as she would grow sick again. Mvenga insists that the Enterprise must leave, and the entity states that the Doctor must then choose, the crew or his daughter. Mvenga says he can't make that choice, but the entity offers a third option. Rukia could stay with the entity. The entity states that only the body is sick, and if she joins with her, she would never be sick again. Reluctantly, uh, Mbenga lets her go, knowing that he could not keep her selfishly. Rukia disappears into light, and then reappears as a grown woman. Rukia says that her and Deborah, the entity has taken her mother's name, thanks him and tells him that she is safe now and they will see each other again. The other crew apart from Mbenga do not remember what happened as the ship returns to normal. Una knows that Rukia is gone now, and Mbenga tells her that it would be a good story. God, this episode. <laughs> this what episode, episode is... There's so much. There's so much to talk about with this episode. I don't even know where to begin. Do do we begin with Benny Russell? Because it's the thing that I can't stop thinking about. Let's talk about Ben uh, Benjamin Benny Russell. If you're not familiar with that name, uh, listeners, so season six, episode thirteen of Deep Space Nine is called Far Beyond the Stars. God, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember if there's a specific thing that causes it, but basically, what happens is that Benjamin Zisco starts having uh, visions of an alternate self of his, which is living in 1950s New York as a science fiction writer. And uh, September 1953, that's what it is. It's later revisited in season seven, though how much of that is actually true and how much is a vision of the prophets slash parates, how much of it is, is it, how much of it is a vision and how much of it is real is very much who knows but yeah and that's that's true in in all of the places where we see it yeah 
But this seems to establish that Benjamin Russell was a real person. Well, you didn't say. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 neglected to mention that Benny Russell is the 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 person he 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 envisions himself being in yes. the past. Yes. Yeah. Um, and ostensibly, this is one of the stories he wrote in yeah. the past. Which, if you want to take it, if you want to take it in like it's everything that happened in DS9 really happened to Benjamin Russell. He suffers a breakdown because he believes that the that DS9 is real. Um, spends time in a mental institution, and I would assume that after this, writes the Kingdom of Elysia. Yeah, I would. I would assume so. It's very. I, I really. The thing that I really like about this story and how it's produced in like the actual physical book that Mavenga is reading out of is that one of the the conceits of the episode of the episode Far Beyond the Stars is that Russell's identity as a black man is obscured from the readership of the magazine he writes for because 1950s America is racist. All of the pictures in the book match the ethnicities of the characters who are playing them uh, which i think is really cool because uh, yeah because uh, what, what i would assume is that like you know this story has existed since you know like 1960s america or something and when it got like republished or something the like new art got produced mm-hmm. yeah the the illustrations in the prop book are really are really good mm-hmm. too yeah i don't know there's a lot in this book that just like far beyond the stars is one of my favorite episodes of television just period yeah for sure and the fact that it's like the fact that they decided to do this specific callback just it makes it makes me very happy especially in the context of it being a story that a black man is reading to his daughter yeah Especially, yeah, and a a story about, like, that he's reading to his daughter who's going through a tough time. And the fact that it means that Benjamin Russell is read 300 years into the future. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I think this modern era of Trek does not do a lot of callbacks to DS9. Like, there's a lot more to, like, TNG, the original series, and Voyager. Yeah. And I I don't know whether that's just they, they don't like to... It's because DS9 does tend to stand out as like that. But like this specific callback and reference is just like I was I could not stop thinking about it when I saw that name on the cover. It's very good. Yeah, because and and it it ties in nicely with the with the whole theme of Far Beyond the Stars of like, does the dreamer dream the dream or or vice versa? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Is Cisco real? Is Russell real? Are they both real? And that that ambiguity and having the fantasy come to life seems it it's kind of an interesting reversal. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's a lovely callback and it's like warms my heart. This episode is just so joyful in yeah, general. It's so fun. And I and and the end is very the end of the episode is this, the end of the episode is so bittersweet. It's very yeah, it's very bittersweet and like it's sort of like a gut punch of like, this is how it's got to end, but it's really good. And I don't yeah. think you have, I don't think you could sell that without the rest of the episode being as so, so joyful as the, as it is. Yeah. Agreed. Let's take the episode. Let's start at the top of the episode before 
the the very brief bit at the top of the episode before things go bananas uh because there are a few moments in the before things get transformed into the story that I think are deserve to be called out Pike and Ortega's bantering on the bridge they have developed a really great rapport over the last few episodes yeah they're yeah. they're bantering and this one where she like <laughs> looks back it? at him and she's like you going to say the thing sir and then he does it and nothing happens and he's like I said the thing like it's so good. It's, it's so on the nose and just, you really believe that these people are what they are in the sense that like they're friends and coworkers and they have this great banter and rapport. Yeah. And you absolutely believe that these people like each other and enjoy working together. And also like you believe that they, they spend a lot of time sitting around the bridge of a starship when nothing is happening, just shooting the shit yeah. constantly. Yeah. I mean, it has the it has the same vibes of like, if you have worked a day, if you have worked a night shift in a boring job, it's been stuck around the same three people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved that bit right there at the at the top. I also loved Mbenga's reaction. When the door, when the turbo lift doors open, and they all say, you know, all hail the king, and his reaction is, "What the hell?" Like, <laughs> so deadpan. It's so good, and and he's like incredibly sleep deprived, and like, yeah, you know, possibly just inhaled the hallucinogen. Yeah, the casting, the the casting choices for this episode are brilliant. Oh. I mean, where do we want to start? Where do we want to start with this? Well, let's start with Pike, because that's the first person he sees. Uh, the, uh, the, Pike's the crime peak, that has been done to his hair. The Pike's uh, peak has collapsed into the most craven center part. It's like gelled down. Yeah, it looks like the fucking McDonald's arches <laughs> have collapsed. Yeah. It's like all the volume has disappeared from his hair. It's so good. There are two people in this episode that I think are most clearly having the most fun. And Anson Mount is one of them. Uh, He is (laughs) living up this role as a craven advisor to the king. And he is just taking big old bites out of the scenery uh, as this cowardly advisor. And then you have Ortegas as Sir Adia. And that's a little bit less of a stretch for her because it's she's retains her sort of uh, swagger uh, that she has as an a intensity. pilot. An intensity. But I do fucking love Ortegas with a sword. That's a look. That, that is, like, the, the like, the, like, arming jacket she has on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the sword is just like, mm, that's that's real good. Yeah. I I wanted to call something out with Anson Mount in, in his role, which is, if you listen, he slides in and out of the froofy accent. Oh yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. And I feel like the, the the impression I get from that is that it's not that he as an actor is sliding in and out of the accent. It's that the the Chamberlain character keeps trying to talk posh and failing. <laughs> See, I, I I love that explanation. I saw it more as he was having so much fun. He was like barely holding in like his giggles the whole time he was doing it. <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting choice, though, because like like Ortegas is not putting on some sort of like fantasy accent. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's very that good. She's just ta- like, I think I'd have to watch through again, but I think the rest of them are all talking normally. Except for Lon. It's 
Yeah. Yeah, even Jeff Bush doesn't get to have a regular accent. There are no Australians in the 23rd century. Yep. Uh, yeah, so then we get, there's a bunch of other people on the bridge that we sort of see, but then Mbenga goes down to sickbay and we meet Nurse Chapel, who has been turned into, uh, I forget her character's name. It is Lady Audrey. Lady Audrey, who's like the wise woman thing. Yeah, she's um, the good witch. The good witch. And yeah. there's some very good bits there where he's like, your your dopamine is elevated. And there's some good like bits about dopamine being elevated. And then Lon enters. Oh my god. So when we when uh the la- the last week when we were recording, Jude and I had watched the episode and we were trying to like just like encode talk about it, but I'm just like the costumes of this episode. And I was yeah. like on Princess Dress. That dress, oh my God, is it's, it's like it's phenomenal. It's like if you took like every, every the platonic ideal of the like princess dress and then magnified it by about a thousand, and then and like bedazzled it. Yeah, yeah. This thing is enormous. It like it's got has be, a life of its own. It's got to be six or eight feet diameter, and yeah. So it's got to weigh a fucking ton. Yeah. Lon comes blowing into the scenes and the whole time she is carrying a dog and Justin's comments in our chat was, where is this dog come from? Whose dog is this on the enterprise? Like who on the enterprise has a fucking dog? Did dogs exist in space before Picard? Like, yes. Well, I'm just like, but we shall not speak. Uh, of no, we're, we, look, Porthos is fine. Porthos is a good boy. <laughs> Oh, yes. Admiral, Ar- Admiral Archer's beagle. <laughs> In any case, uh, it turns out that this dog, I can't remember his first name. He has two names. His name is Runa Ewok. Runa Ewok. And he belongs to Christina Chong, Lon's act- the actress who plays Lon. Uh, Beautiful. He's her dog. And she is the only person, I think, who is chewing the scenery more intensely than... Anson yeah. Mount is. She's a good girl. She is over the top. The dog is, the dog is yeah. great. Christina Chong is like, oh my God. She starts singing at one point. Yeah, she, she, tells, <laughs> she tells the king that if he dies, she will sing a song of mourning. But she actually like sings the phrase song of mourning. And it is the most like falsetto melodramatic wail of a song you've ever heard. It's unbelievable. I, yeah, my God, I laughed so hard. I was dying watching this episode in that scene. Just dying is so fucking funny. They ha- they clearly had so much fun filming this. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I have to say, uh, that was probably my favorite, but my favorite bit of this episode is when it is discovered that this, the story starts to veer off and then Benga discovers that, they're not doing the official version of the story. They're doing his daughter's fan fiction. Yeah. Yes. And I love, I, I fucking love that this episode is about fan fiction. <laughs> yes. Of all the shows to like literally canonize the concept of fan fiction within the show, Star Trek is the perfect show to do it. Uh, especially one with Spock on it, given, you know, 
Spock and Kirk shipping basically started fan fiction for all intents and modern fan fiction for all intents and purposes. And the the thing that I love is that the thing that clues Vega into what's going on is he recognizes his daughter's ships. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He yeah. recognizes his daughter's ships, the Huntress and Sir Adia. Like, like he's like, they don't interact with the book, but Rukia wanted them to. And it's like, yeah. he's like, wait a minute. Yeah. Which is which is the most like that is the most energy of like two characters who never interact with each other. I think they should be in love. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, the 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 interactions between the huntress and Sir Adia is very, very fun. Yeah. Definitely, definitely left me shipping Una and Ortegas just a little. Yeah. The banter between them, uh, what was it? She says like you never write. I saved your life. Like it was very good. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. God, just this episode is so, so delicious. It's just such a, such a fun episode. Do we, do we want to talk about Uhura as queen? Yeah. Love? She, she, yeah. first of all, speaking of amazing dress, costume design, evil queen dress is amazing. But the fact that she gets the claws. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was like, you know, live, live, texting my watch of this and you know, they're they're talking about going to see queen nev and i'm like it's it's gotta be una right that was like, my first thought it's, it's gotta be it. una yeah and then and then we see who it is i'm like oh this is even better yeah yeah it's great yeah i i love that celia is getting gets to gets to just chew scenery as well that's <laughs> yeah and then we get the reveal at the end that like it turns out that it's a Boltzmann brain. It's basically like this nebula has spontaneously generated consciousness in space. And it's, uh, you called out in your notes, something, this, one of the same things that I thought in watching it, which is you said it was like a very TOS vibe. Oh yeah. 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 Cause like TOS has a lot of episodes that have like, a mysterious disembodied omnipotent consciousness yeah. that they just encounter. It, fe- it and felt very like, TNG to other me. Other than Q, we haven't had many of those since then. Well, TNG had a fair a fair number of like weird consciousness in a space cloud or something as well. It had a very not with this degree of power though. Oh, not with this degree of power, but like it had a yeah. few like the weird space entity that that ended up knocking up Deanna Troy. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff the, the, like that. You know, the other the other series have their fair share of weird consciousnesses. Um, TOS really had a lot of like you know highly powerful, yeah, strange co- consciousnesses. Like yeah, uh, Squire of Gothos would be one of the ones that comes to mind. But there's there's a bunch of others. Yeah, I mean the the the, the aliens who set up the arena. Yeah, <laughs> and like. They're all throughout TOS. And then we hit Next Generation and we see one of them, which is Q. Yeah. And that's until we hit the profits. That's about it. Yeah. And based on my recollection, at least at that power level. Yeah. But it's a very good vibe. I, I really. Yeah. It's it's really good. Uh, and I really enjoy it. And then we get that fucking ending. Um, okay. As a parent, that scene is absolutely crushing to have to decide between saying goodbye and the child being sick. Um, I do want to call out, I don't know if you saw the tweet that I posted Rukia's dre- about Rukia's dress. Yeah. 
Yeah. That it's sort of a reference to the Star Trek Beyond poster. Yeah, it's it's designed to resemble the original Star Trek Beyond poster, and it totally matches. It looks amazing. But that scene where he's talking to her and like letting her go, uh, that scene hurts. Mm-hmm. To imagine yeah. having to like say goodbye to your kid like that. Good lord, I, I don't even know what to say uh, after such like a wild high of an episode to come slamming into this. We skipped over Hammer. I'm sorry. We didn't even talk about the the magic of science. God. Well, I think I think we can have an entire Hammer corner. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do a Hammer corner after this. I love the resolution, though. I love that they don't like leave it a question that they yeah. they resolve it that like she immediately comes back adult and he gets to see that he made the right choice that she's happy mm-hmm. and that like she's having a full life and that he did the right thing. I, I think that was. Yeah a really good narratively speaking, like a really good choice because it, it cauterizes the wound that is that, that decision he has to make. Yeah. And then sets up that nice moment at the end with Una where he's telling her the story. Yeah. I I have a question for y'all on like how you, on the plot in general, because I think it's sort of been our one. It's been maybe like number two in terms of like recurring plots like in terms of screen time. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, I, I think like it's definitely, I think it's gotten more screen time than like uh, Pike's like incoming mortality. Even it's, it's about, I think it's about par with Spock and to bring. Spock and to bring have had like multiple episodes that have sort of focused on them. Yeah. But the, it's had a lot of screen time though. So how do you feel like the pacing of this being resolved in this way how like how do you feel about that do you think this was too fast or no i i think it's an i think it actually works i thought about this because my mm-hmm. understanding was from the, the original series that like mbenga is in the original series mm-hmm. but there's no sign of a daughter there yeah so people were sort of asking like where'd this daughter thing come from and granted there's like seven years like they've got time but i think Obviously, they weren't going to keep her in the the pattern buffer for the entire run of the show. Right. They were going to have to resolve it. And I think it's indicative of sort of the ethos of the show being somewhat episodic, episodic, but also Mm -hmm. letting the characters grow and live episode to episode Mm -hmm. that they didn't just let that exist. They didn't let her just be a pattern buffer as a background feature of the show. They let that be a plot line that evolved and have some pressure that he that had to be resolved. And I think having it be resolved where it did fit really nicely um, because now he can do other things in the story besides just stress about his daughter. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it was something that it was kind of already getting stagnant, right? You can only have so many scenes of you know, him reading to his daughter in the medical transporter room. Or him stressing about like not finding a cure yet or something. Yeah, before you before you kind of run out of run out of track. Yeah. Yeah, I think in particular when you have last week's episode to look at in comparison, where you have him in his silly dad hat fishing, and you can see the what can be done with the character, that the character has more to offer to the show than being sad in the transporter room. Yeah. I think it really opens up or it it really sort of 
emphasized that they can't have him do that op- open-endedly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm pretty happy with this as a resolution. Like the obvious other way to resolve the arc is to have some have an episode that is a conflict between him and some sort of advanced alien species that doesn't want to give up its medical tech and yeah you know he has to acquire it surreptitiously and then that's bad and yeah like blah blah blah. which is you know it's it's a serviceable plot but we've seen it before yeah Yeah. this was the thing that i was like i just i'd i'd had conversations with somebody about this and i was like i think this is exactly the right sweet spot of like you've had it introducing it's been a recurring bit but there's only so much you can milk out of of sick kid before it becomes repetitive. Yeah. 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 And I think resolving it the way they did tie, ties it off very, very nicely. Yeah. And it leaves and it leaves you to revisit it possibly in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk about the amazing the magic of science uh, the magic of science oh my god oh my god Hammer uh, who knew uh, Hammer had a you know was a LARPer at heart yeah yeah uh, not not Hammer clearly but I get a feeling that someone's got a new hobby the next time they go back to Starbase One well it's like he embraces it immediately well not immediately he takes like one beat to be like what the shit and then he's like the magic of science <laughs> and then he gets into yeah. it and but then like, he and then he goes full ham bone with it for queen yeah. nev at the end there when he tr- teleports or transports them all to the to the cargo bay which is it's terrific wonderful. so yeah I, I want to talk about something about this episode that i absolutely love which is okay Holodeck episodes are fun, yes. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that most of the ones in TNG suck. Come at me. <laughs> you didn't. You never. You never thought that seeing Worf dressed up as one of the Merry Men was a thing that was. Gonna that's work? not a holodeck episode, my friend. That's not a holodeck episode. That's a Q episode. I feel like that's that's splitting the hair I a mean, little fine. So, so I think the thing that makes things better, specifically, like I think, like. There's like out of the two Sherlock Holmes ones, there's like a one good episode you pull out of those two, uh, put together. Yeah, I'm sorry. You you know what? I can't. I can't do. I I. I and all of the rest have all of the rest are infected with uh, Barclay contagion. Yeah, which I don't want to go into that. But uh, and like our man Bash- our man Bashir is beyond reproach because it is. Because all the actors are having the time of their life like this one. Yeah. I think the thing that like really sets us apart though in, in this vein is because instead of like we are going to a set somewhere to ha- to, to play dress up and stuff, it's we're playing dress up on the bridge of the Enterprise and turning yeah. the Enterprise into a fantasy castle. And we're going to have this map which says the Elysian Kingdom on it, which is a fantasy map of the Enterprise. Yeah. And it's, it's just very so good. good. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, I love that decision. It's like the Enterprise got to play dress up too. Yeah. I have a, a random aside question for you, uh, for the both of you. Yeah. Uh, Go for it. Do you think that Barkley ever went to DS9 to use one of the hollow suites? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want let's let's leave that there though. <laughs> because we all know that the DS9 holodecks are officially for fucking. 
Yeah, and and we all know that Barkley wanted to fuck in the 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 the, the Enterprise holodecks, like which I mean, I, I'm sure people did. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, William Riker was assigned. I mean, to that th- shit. there are there are problems with there are <laughs> problems with Barkley in the wanting to fuck in the holodeck on the Enterprise that have nothing to do with fucking in a holodeck. Yeah, and, and everything, everything to do, to do with, with wanting to fuck like all his crewmates in the holodeck. Yeah. Yep, that. Yeah, it was the, the the issue was not with the issue was not with the use of the hollow sweep. The the issue was the use of consensual image rights. Got it. Got it. Barkley's such a weird character. I, I'm cracking up because I just had the I just had the image flip through my mind of you know the episode where somebody's trying to get Kira's image <laughs> from Quark? <laughs> and then the 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 program that ends up is like the the figure viewed from the back and then it turns around and it's Quark. God, that that. Oh. <laughs> you know what Quark would be really into NFTs. <laughs> Fuck you. I mean, you're right though. I mean, how many memes have I sent you with the Ferengi going crypto? <laughs> I should watch DS Nine again. God, there, there's a there's a pretty good there's a pretty good skip list for it that I recommend if you want to rewatch it because it because it does the important thing which is is it doesn't cut out funny episodes but it does cut out pointless episodes which i i think that i think that a lot of i think there's a skip list mentality of like only the important stuff but it's no you need to have the funny shit in there as well right right uh yeah i'll 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 probably get to it i I gotta watch tos first but maybe after tos what else do we want to say about this? Um, Spock is an evil wizard is fun. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, yeah. It's, it's so easy to like throw. Like there's so much little throwaway stuff. Like the Crimson Guard. <laughs> the Crimson Guard is so good. I cool. didn't catch that right away, but the Crimson Guard is red shirts is fucking spectacular. Oh, it's, I didn't catch. It's so delightful. That's very good. Uh, I love that Ethan Peck manages to turn Spock's like Vulcan eyebrow calisthenics into like evil wizard eyebrow calisthenics yeah you mean prosthetics no i mean calisthenics like (laughs) when he does spock it's just like "Mm." like the eyebrow just kind of he does like the classic spock eyebrow raise and then when he's being an evil wizard it's like it's like he does it in the very in the same thing but in a different way so it looks very like nefarious he's changing the rest of his facial expression It's very good, and I think it's great because it looks like Spock is trying to overact, and it works. Yeah. It's very (laughs) funny. Speaking of fanfic with this episode, I desperately, desperately hope that Hammer remembers all of this at some point, that, like, Mbenga sits down with him and then, like, clicks and unlocks in his brain, and he's like, oh, shit, right. (laughs) I just want in the middle of like some tense situation, Hammer to turn to Mbanga and go, the magic of science. (laughs) (laughs) I also love that we got to see Hammer in non-grumpy mode. Yeah. I was going to say one thing. So this is something that I've loved about this character is that they have given us in a couple episodes in a row now, Hammer that is not about being grumpy, which was his first couple appearances were all about being grumpy. But they've given us a version of Hammer that's not grumpy and has nothing to do with the fact that he's blind. 
Mm. Yeah. I mean, he, he is blind. I love the fact that like he gets to be the, I have weird psychic powers because I'm an alien uh, plot yeah. device. He, it's just a really well done character and it's executed really well. Mm. And I like that they're not leaning on any piece of the character unnecessarily. And it, it just works, man. All these characters, I can't. It's also really interesting to have a an alien character with weird psychic powers who's not a Vulcan. Or who isn't a hot lady. I was just, you took the that words too. out of my mouth. Who's not wear, wearing an inappropriately low cut jumpsuit and sitting next to Captain Picard for no explicable reason. Or who isn't uncomfortably young <laughs> in Voyager. Uh, the less said about Kess, the better. That is agreed. On that note, yes. <laughs> anybody got any finishing thoughts? I just, I just really hope that the swamp of infinite deaths come with, uh, comes with R O U S S. Same. I'm gonna make us in two episodes when we finish the season rank all these no. episodes. I'm gonna Don't. force you. I'm gonna force you, and this is gonna be, this is gonna be painful. I'm gonna have How like dare you four number ones. <laughs> Can I place them on a two-dimensional axis? <laughs> or do I have to rank them on one on one dimension only? We'll make you a scatter graph. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that's it. That's giving the statistician a lot of power, Justin. <laughs> so we do have the name of the next episode, uh, which I'm going to drop for Jude because this feels very, this feels incredibly specific coming after the fantasy novel episode. Okay. All those who wander. Ooh! Oh shit! <laughs> uh, all I know about it is that there's a, a there's a clip on YouTube of it where Spock is uh, walking through what looks like a a wrecked ship hallway, and then Pike scares him, like comes up behind him and like startles him. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So it's got like a it's got like a horror vibe, like or like a interesting a, a, a suspense vibe. Love it. So I think we may be pivoting off of our uh, humor tone from this episode into something else yeah. so we'll see that's okay we're in the last we're in the last two episodes of the yeah. season yeah god bless this fucking show and uh yeah we'll uh we'll be back next week with more barely coherent rambling about yeah. this this fucking show more shenanigans until next time say the thing hit it Strange New Pods is a limited-run series by The Babylon Project, a member of the OKSO Network. All views expressed are our own. Music credits can be found in the show notes. Wear life gloriously. Fix it in post, Zathras.